Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome yet again to our ninth lockdown episode of 2021 and the 72nd episode of the Mad Axman podcast. This week, of course, the full gang of seven are back in this normal weekly special, and we're discussing all sorts of things. How to bend the legs on cavalry riders, there's a lengthy discussion about black and white and choices in between. Atlatl pronunciation gets a shout out. We, of course, have Andy's quiz with another onanastic theme this week and I'm sorry I think Jonas faces the tricky subject of competition war games and whether curing bad eggs is a possible solution where the idea of a cured egg is just inherently bad. This means war. This means war. Well welcome everybody to episode I think in our slightly erratic series, this is technically 72, um, following on from the number 70, which was the last podcast of this type. And then we've squeezed in a um, army list building podcast midweek, as as is sometimes the want on the Bulgars and the, the Byzantines. But we're back with the full set of seven here, assembled in their, their various kitchens and hobby bunkers. And, and God only knows where Peter is. Um, he always puts up a Zoom background, so we've got no real idea of um, of what the the Badger Mansion looks like like in the background. And, it's, and probably it's best... a, yeah, it's a hideaway. The mansion, you know, wouldn't want to be horrific about it, you know. No. In uh, probably, downtown Canary Wharf. Yeah, probably best to keep it that way, I guess. Um, that's the secret. And um, and we've got the full set of people assembled for the usual mix of of chat about painting, chat about gaming, and, and our. Um, our, our increasing number of features, which which I have a sneaking suspicion, some of them may actually generate their own spin-off shows, and um, it could end up being a bit like Frasier, possibly, and we could be the gang at Cheers sat around the um, sat around the bar. So, but without further ado, then just into the what have you been painting this week? Let's start off with um, with Mr. Saunders with your your beer very front and center in your. Um, in your screen there on Zoom, um, it looks like a very dark, dark bottle, and you're painting through your your magneto microscope as we speak as well. What's what's been on the painting table for you this week? Uh, so we're still on the boring old Battle of the Boyne or Ogrim or whatever it's called, and uh, I'm on to the cavalry now. So it's so this is a fog Renaissance army. So they're a battle group in four bases. So I've got one lot of Williamite cavalry. And their little white jackets with little blue cuffs, uh, Mercio figures. Yeah, they're all right. They're okay. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes their their cavalry, or certainly those ones, can be a little bit stubby. I'm not sure. I've seen you know the infantry are cute, but what what are the horses like on those? Are they um, a bit Mike's models esque, or is that um, unfair to those particular horses? I'd say they 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 seem to be riding greyhounds. Oh right, they're they're slim and long and low. Or yeah, and and the uh, the yeah the I, I, yeah I, I know what you mean about Mike's models. The cavalrymen are a bit Mike's models, so their their legs are a bit splayed, should we say? Mm. Yeah. So that they, they, I think they're going to fall off. The super glue is going to come away quite often. I think they're going to be regluing onto their greyhounds quite often. Right. Okay, you're not you're not one of those who squeezes the legs together with a pair of pliers just before slotting them on. I or... have got a pair of pliers right here. Okay, yeah. However, just the one, I... just the one. Well, I've got more in the cupboard, if you know mm. what I mean. But 
I'm actually a bit nervous about trying to, how can I put this? They're, they're kind of um, bow-legged, but they're all sort of very solid. The, the legs aren't sort of... Right. You know, uh, it's that kind of metal that might uh, might not bend as much as, um, as some yeah. of the other ones. And also, I think they're kind of like a bit of like an A-shape. Okay, all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't think the legs are actually... I think if I tried to sort of like push the legs together, they might A, break, I'll probably break a boot off. Hmm. And uh, but they're they're great. They're they're nice little figures. They're really good. Um, yeah, I've, I've enjoyed this army. I mean, it's coming towards an end now, which is nice because you know what it's like when you've done, especially with a fog army. It's bloody huge. <laughs> um, after a while of painting the same figures and the same units, you go, oh, you know, how much longer can this drag on? So I must admit, I'm, I think I can just about remember my Louis the Fourteenth. French, which was that sort of same kind of era, and yep. an awful lot of those were grey. And okay, they had different cuffs and collars and things like that, but but it was black undercoat and then a heavy dry brush to get that kind of grey effect across all of them. And then there just was an awful, awful lot of them. Uh, and I do keep looking in that drawer and um, and chatting with Simon on on WhatsApp to to think about which of the far too many units of Louis the Fourteenth I can comfortably afford to rebuild and and change into um adlgr units as well because i think i've got some extra bases to turn the french into a um what was that army the swedish army that was like super effective in in fogar as well but that had two lots of pikemen it was like a very late swedish army so they were yeah. wearing the the louis the 14th sort of uniforms but they were still three to two or sorry two to one with pike and shot rather than the the five to ones in in fogar so i ended up doubling up with extra pikemen for all of those different units so so if i do rebase them the gray will all be consistent but um i will end up having to repaint a lot of collars and cuffs which will which will be a bit fiddly to turn them into proper units these these seem to be quite yes there's a lot of gray and i thought mm. painting was sort of like darkish gray at first and then i realized they should be lighter so i repainted them with a light gray and then I realised that some of the other units are white. Right. <laughs> so it's like, oh. Oh. Head, it's a bit sort of, yeah, uh, that's that's a white unit with blue cuffs and that's a grey unit with blue cuffs. And, yeah. yeah. So yeah, that, no, that... They're, 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 they're going to look great. I'm, I'm really pleased with them. How um, how white do you go when you're painting white? And, and I'm kind of, because you know, I think Tamsin, last week you mentioned something about... Um, if you're painting people's eyes, don't don't paint them white. And I think then that there were six. Other, that was a couple of weeks ago. That was a couple of weeks ago, and there were six yeah. other people saying that's very interesting. But we're never painting eyes ever again in our lives. It doesn't really work. Yeah. But but in terms of what color to paint for a white coat or white uniform or stuff, do you actually go with white? Um, I don't know, Dave. Uh, depends. Um, depends on what what sort of material it would be. Right. Okay. I would usually I'd usually start off with. Either, well, it depends. If it's going to go to a, go to a sort of white, so sort of cotton or linen or silk, I tend to go with a very pale grey as the base and build up from that. But for sort of wool, occasionally I some linen, I some linens, but more wool. Wool. I tend to go with a sort of sand coloured base and build up to more to a sort of creamy ivory. All right, because I, I think I use some ivory 
it was um second world war german interior tank color which i had lying around having thought about your stuff with from a couple of weeks ago about the eyeballs and and did some which sort of softened it but but dave what, what are you doing on those ones that you're I, I always i always use white to paint things because when you're playing escape and everything looks sort of like creamy odd colors anyway i was just thinking are you, you gonna know, have to repaint all those white. austrians oh, yeah. i could deal with white yeah yeah <laughs> so dave what what paint are you waving at us there well when when i began i because the first paints i bought were all the coat d'arms and like you the, the tops are all cracked mm. and I run out of white so now because i was doing some uh napoleonics i've got off-white game color off-white and it is off-white it's slightly more but I, i'm finding i want to use more shades of white if that makes sense um that there's how many shades of white are there really how, how do you layer up white you start to sound like a dulux commercial now i've got like tamsin was saying the other week I'm, i've ordered some deck gray okay deck gray. no deck white isn't it Deck tan. Is it deck tan? I don't know. Sorry, but you might have ordered just, the wrong thing, Dave. <laughs> there, it just makes it sound like I haven't cleaned my brush properly when you're painting. Yep. There's a Vallejo black and white box set, and I've been playing with the idea of what? The sort of what? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that a that, whole box that of the, black and white. The best thing I've heard all day. So, yeah, so like, yeah, yeah, so I think Vallejo like, call it the philosophical paint set. Exactly. How well, many yeah. different shades both. of black and white what, are there? What was it? Fifty shades of grey, is it? You know, that's a book but, day. You know, you need to get out a bit more. Don't <laughs> they call it the I've just mugged you offset or yeah, something like that? Three sets of black. You've got three sets of black there. Wow. I've got black grey. Black grey I use a lot. Black grey is really good. Okay. I've got oh. black <laughs> and black grey. Gray. What do you, so when when do you use black grey in a different context to black then? Is it how does that um, well quite often because I, I often paint a horse, I, I'll undercoat it black, and then I'll dry brush grey over it, and then I might even fill in black grey onto the horse to give it some definition. Black grey is really dark, and it's it's a good it's a good one. I like it a lot. And is I, it, I is it visibly different to your black undercoat though? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's completely. So I've been looking at pictures of your figures on Instagram. On um, what is it, Frumentarius? Is it Frumentarius twenty three or something? No, no, that's Mini Painter twenty. Mini Painter, sorry, Mini Painter. Right. Um, I'll try to keep looking... the world separate. So, you know. oh right, okay, different one. So it's Mini I, Painter. I've got to admit the the nuance level of painting is um, obviously bit beyond my capabilities of appreciation. Hamsin's inspired me with talking about. Um, Tamsin scares me with her with her level of detail. <laughs> Let's be honest. You know, when she starts saying about the multiple layers she's done, I'm like, well, by the, by the time she's done that, I've done half a half a unit. You know, <laughs> but I think I've normally another. I've quite often done a full unit. <laughs> really good. But actually, that's the sorry. That's the thing that Probably really annoys right. me. Not only does Tamsin paint far far better than I ever will. She also paints quicker as well, and that really, really annoys me. <laughs> that, that's that's just truly disturbing. Now that just doesn't work properly, does it? Yeah. The, the, the idea of doing layers, so like with these guys, because my the person I'm doing the commission for was insistent I didn't undergo black, so I didn't, and um, he wasn't very happy about me inking in black. <laughs> so come to a sort of like, so the, these guys who are 
got white uniforms on the, the cavalry. Mm. They've got like white uni- white jackets, a white long coat. And if you just paint them white, they're going to look a bit weird. So I've inked them black and then painted black whites back over the top. Okay. And you painted so, white, white or off white or gray white or deck off white? white? Off white, off white. Off white. Okay. So when I've inked, so they're, 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 they're undercoated whites. When you put a black ink onto them, they go a bit gray. And then I painted off white back over the top again. But when so, you're saying you put a black ink on them, is that literally a black ink or is that um, the army painter dark tone or whatever it's called? No, it's, no, it's the uh, coat d'armes black ink, that one. Oh, right. Okay. That's a big old pot. Yeah, you must use quite a bit of that then. I've used quite a few bottles of those over the years. It's one of my favourite things. I mean, I, when I began, I didn't get inks at all. I was just yeah. sitting there saying, well, this is horrible. It just doesn't work. They just get horrible, mucky. And it, it does take a time to get used to inks. But inking is, a, I mean, it, if the figures are defined enough, they're cut into enough and they've got folds in there, it really works a treat. Actually, yeah. it's funny. I, I had to, um, uh, every, you know, every now and then I get an email back through madaxman.com. And um, this was some some chap who said um, he was just really grateful for one of the painting um, tips pages that I'd put up on the site. And he was saying how um, my kind of commentary about, I think it was Windsor and Newton, Pete Brown and Canary Yellow Mix had just suddenly raised his painting game and suddenly given him the mojo to get back and paint some ancients after all this time. And I was thinking, I must have done that painting guide. I think it was for, and it was for some hoplites it might be 10 15 years old or something that it's been on the website and i was literally rebasing those same hoplites in the last couple of weeks and i decided to not repaint them because i thought they still look all right actually and and the focus is on the shields but but yeah getting into inks and stuff does does really change things you you're um you're mr Bishbosh contrast paint do it all really aren't you but but this week have you managed to get those wing tazars glued together with all our uh, different no. glue glue strategies and things like that over the last week or so no uh, unfortunately work has intervened but uh in uh sheer joyful periods between um work meetings i've been looking at uh, some of the other stuff that i'm thinking of doing such as the uh, syrians as well as uh some of the uh, South Americans and uh, looking up about how to do sort of, uh, was it Atelier sort of spears? I'm, no, I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. The Atlatl or whatever it is. Uh, Atlatl. You know, am I making that one up? Anybody else? Atlatl. 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 But they, they look pretty cool. And hmm. uh, also the Assyrian uh, glass axes and stuff. Uh, I thought they looked uh, pretty nice. Problem is when you uh, have a moment to stop and like, oh, wonder what they're like. You find odd YouTubes where someone's actually made one. It starts getting a bit freaky. So um, obsidian glass blade. Because is that is this high end kitchen equipment or something? Uh, no, you. Uh, I saw one where one guy had actually made uh, an axe, and you're actually getting inserting the glass into it and everything else, which was uh, a bit surreal. But um, yep. you know, it was like painting up one of those would be quite nice. Um, you know, seeing the colors with the Aztecs and Mayans and Jaguar warriors and stuff. But uh, so really, then you know, just something very different painting this week. So so work was too busy for you to do any painting, but clearly not 
too busy at all for you to do lots of internet browsing well, and think about yeah stuff. F- five minutes to search something is um sort of uh, i suppose to setting up the paint and anything else mm-hmm. i'm not at a sort of talisman level of able to uh, sort of glance at something and then all of a sudden half a unit's painted uh, unfortunately i'm a fair bit slower than that <laughs> yeah. so did, did you get any further down the line because i think last week you were talking about putting together an order from um Kurasan and and trying to work out some biblical lists for Assyrians. Yeah, like that. did you get I, much further down I, that I route? I was um, working with um, Dave and a couple of you on that, um, going back and forth on the list. So um, I had a chat with Dave uh, in a break between meetings to um, talk around the list, and we were comparing a few, weren't we, Dave? Looking at a few lists um, and what's the optimum level number of chariots chariots to have. Um, I don't think you got back to me with... on the price of the chariots. Uh... Peter, did you know how much the chariots That's because they're, up, they're not there yet. Right. Okay. Uh, oh, I said we're, we're waiting for him to post the rest of the codes up, which hopefully should well, be later on in the month. Um, but, um, yeah, and the number of chariots were, went from some to most to we obviously need more. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we, we were very technical about it. Dave, Dave was actually quite smart with some of these uh, looking at it when we started breaking it down about, you know, so many medium foot, so many heavy and so many chariots and horsemen and everything else. So we've got a, a kind of nucleus of it, um, but um, we're just waiting for him to put the rest of the codes on because uh, there's um, um, a number of different troop types we want to see when we put the order in. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of working out how we work it. And um, there's several lists out there of how people have utilized it from, you know, breaking down to two wings to doing the um, single command with uh, integrated command. So therefore, uh, obviously, you need another chariot that's got a general in it, which of is course. another excuse for a yep. chariot. Um, so working out some of the different ways and how we'd want to put it and everything else. Uh, plus there's the old uh, doing the mixed units where you have the half and half. So, uh, you know, doing the half facing uh, with the bowmen so we can actually have that mixed up or together. So therefore, I've got to buy some sabots as well. Oh, so are you going to go or, or you could just buy the troops twice? Um as well yeah, yeah going back to where uh, tasman paints a lot faster right. than me okay <laughs> right oh okay then just do space so are you going to you know committed to doing 100 percent curacao with that army then um if i can yes because um i'd like to sort of like get it themed you know makes up to for my um uh, uh enhances my abilities in my painting i uh, mm. <laughs> i can actually get it to be consistent uh consistently good or bad doesn't matter but at least consistent yeah. look and feel across the piece um that's what i'm aiming for anyway so um I, I quite like the idea of it um i've got it in my head that um it actually quite have quite a nice look and feel and i haven't really embraced many biblical ones i've got the term sort of like a, you know generic chinese army and a indian army but i haven't really uh, dipped my toes into some of the biblical ones that and, and were you gonna and you, did you actually end up deciding to to buy enough extra troops i think Adam, you were talking about the Uratus and the Vavus and the Babylonians and stuff. To are you, Peter? Are you going to be buying a whole set of biblical armies, or is it an Assyrian core well, army? The, there's the core army, and um, talking to Dave. By the time we finish, like going, oh well, just add a bit of this and a sprinkle. Of that I think we could probably end up fielding about a dozen armies by the time we finished. <laughs> but okay. um, so you this, know, that's so without even this, trying. So basically, if um, you know, hopefully. Um, there's no government agency listening to this. Otherwise, um, Boris Johnson will be on the phone asking you to delay this order until they've got a trade deal with America and they can announce this as, as dramatically increasing transatlantic trade. Um, you'll be you'll be kind of a poster boy for the Brexit global Britain era, won't you? In terms yeah, of the, we're the chartering a, a, a ship to deliver the containers. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And that's 15 mil. It's a good job that Kurosawa don't do 28s then, really, I guess. Excellent. So you're, yeah, so but you, you didn't we, do we any, quite fancy you didn't that. Have, you didn't even have any go at, at gluing your fingers together or stuff. It was just. Uh, no, it just um, ended up being uh, one shelf too far between everything else I've got on at the moment, right. unfortunately, because uh, I had to shelve them for a minute while sorting out a few other things. Okay. All right. Well, um, let's just keep going around the, the circle then. So, Adam, um, what's what have you been painting um, this week? Did you did you crack into a new Perry box? That's that keeps being the perennial question, but you've still still ducked it. No, it's I'm just I'm done too much painting. The um, baggage and the um, Dacian uh, light horse, all four of them. Um, they've been um, painted, and I've had the army paint slop on. I need to do the shield transfers and then basing. Um, again, I've been working this week, so I haven't been doing too much, um, and also. I've um, picked up a book that I haven't looked at in ages, um, and it's one of it's one of the all time most impressive military history, well, it's actual naval history um, books um, I've ever read. Actually, it's called Kaigen, mm-hmm. and it's a history of the Japanese Navy from about eighteen eighty 1880 to nineteen forty one, and it's the research is really impressive and it's really interesting because I've read because I've been reading that again. Um, do you remember that computer game I mentioned about? Dreadnoughts yeah, aircraft carriers. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's really, really tedious. But do, but do they do the no, no, it's not tedious. One in that book? This is the thing about that game, it's not tedious. It's um it looks like um like an accounting spreadsheet. Yeah. But it's actually quite into if you're into that thing, and because I read this book, I was like, oh, I want to play that game. Um so I've been playing that when I should have been painting, to be perfectly honest. So I've been <laughs> been painting a little bit, it's been going forward, it's all good. Okay. Do, do they do the Russia Japan? A uh, bit where Russia steamed oh. all the way around. I remember doing that in history. So she well, they sank them all again. Well, no, what in the game or the book? Book. In the book, yeah, no, they talk about the Japanese navy. It's really deep. It's it. It talks. It's about the development of the Japanese navy. So it talks huge about the thinking in the Japanese navy about what they were doing and what they were trying to do and what they learned and what they did different. So because um, Japan had a war with China in 1894 and learned from that and they put that lessons to use um in the war against russia so tsushima was sort of like the long culmination of a development for the japanese navy um so yeah they talk about that it's it's all sort of quite interesting the meat of the book though is the development of the japanese navy in the 20s and 30s so it's an explanation of why the japanese fleet fought as the second world war as it did and why it was what it was. And it's just, if you're into naval warfare, naval history, it's the most impressive piece of research and um, I've seen really. So yeah, interesting. What, what's the name I, of the book I read again? somewhere that the Japanese no. would cancel naval exercises if they thought there was a chance of losing one of their torpedoes and somebody else finding one. Those long round um, torpedoes. I don't think that's true because um, you can set a torpedo to sink or float at the end of its run. Um, because the, the thing about Japanese um, training, especially in the 20s and 30s, was um, they wanted to do a lot of night fighting, torpedo attacks at night to even up against a bigger American fleet. So they did really realistic training. And people died on the training because there were collisions of destroyers. But it kind of paid off because when it got to the Second World War, they were far better than the Americans at night fighting, even though the Americans had radar. Oh, and the book's called Kaigen, which is Japanese for Navy. So, 
Like on. Okay. Because one other thing on a you know history books or, or you know, first-hand account books, I saw this week on um, Twitter. I don't know how many of you have come across it, but there's a book um, that always kind of pops up Second World War. It's like D-Day Through German Eyes. And I think I actually got it on Amazon when it was, you know, 99p on... Um, yeah, that was Kindle out years or, ago, wasn't it? Kindle or something. And it, it's kind of, you know, it keeps coming around. And there was this thing saying it's basically a complete 100% fraud. Everything about it is completely made up, even... You know, it's supposed to be translated from an original publisher or something. And even the name of the translator and the publisher and, and the guy who wrote it is just complete fiction. Um, <laughs> it's like a really well... And there's been a sequel, you know, there's a second one as well, uh, the D-Day through Germanized The Return or something. And and it was just... Um, and various people, you know, when you see something on Twitter, you kind of think, is this some bloke having a rant? And suddenly, like, you know, loads of other people pile in and go... Yes, we've also been saying this is a fraud for years, but people kind of ignore it because they want it to be true, um, which is kind of weird. But, you know, I, I guess it's a little bit more lively than than the logistics of the development of the Japanese fleet in, in 1924 to 38 or something. But but yeah, there's, have a dig about it. If you've got that in your collection, um, it's it's just a load of old tosh. Um, Whose eyes was it through? What was that, Dave? Whose eyes was it through then? Um, I think that you know nobody really knows, but the it's so thin that the name of the author's made up. He's supposed to have got it from his father, who never existed. It was supposed to have been published in Germany by a company which never existed. Just literally everything about it is is complete, you know, very easily disprovable fabrication. When um, right. lots of the Germans on the Normandy beach as well, the German troops were actually Ukrainians and Russians and things like that. Yeah, not all of them. Some of them were, I think. Some of them were, yeah. yeah. Some of them were, yeah. But but certainly, you know, they weren't the ones who were listed in um in this book, which is kind of odd. Um, but yeah, but there, there you go. Kind of interesting. Let's, let's keep going around then. Um, Simon, what about you? What's been happening for, for you this week, uh, paint-wise or, or purchasing-wise or all sorts of things like that? So absolutely nothing in purchasing. And I've painted a grand total of two bases again this week. Whoa. So, um, yeah, I'm really... Kind of uh, blowing hot and cold on this, aren't you, at the moment? Yeah, the joys, of, like Peter, the joys of into financial year um, tend to keep me rather busy, so... Right. Hopefully in, a, hopefully, in a month's time, when it's all done, I can get back to doing something else. I've got my first of my um, Hopalates. Ah, okay then. Yep, those are the um, the, uh, so those are the museum ones, the new ones, and um, and you base them what four and three there on, and they're pretty tight, aren't they? On that base, have you put them to the back of the base? Yes. Yeah, so, so what I've done here is um, they're on a forty by forty base. Okay. Give them a bit, a bit more bum room. So I wanted yeah. to have a bit more of the space in the front of the sheet, uh, the the base. Mm. Um, yeah, they're nice models, so you might have given a bit of space. So I've got four in the front, so the shields are overlapping. So as you guys were saying, that you tend to really only notice the shields. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Maybe, you might as well go with it. So you got that big front shield wall coming at you, and then there's just space for three guys at the back. So um, 
They've, You've they've, got a spare then somewhere. Yeah, I might have a few spares kicking around, but we won't talk about that. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> um, so they've come up quite nice. And then the other one is just for something completely different. I... Is this not? Is this other small domestic pets in a wheel with electrical tape or something? No. Well, I was thinking you need some hamsters, um, mm. but just finished off the uh, the baggage or most of the, um, the baggage for the Ottoman Turks. So some donkeys and stuff like that, and Janissary and a um, city levy. Just uh, are, they, are they carrying your red wine there, Simon? Yeah, so they're the, in the pots um, at the back. The two pots, the, uh, the big urns at the back of the red wine. Then there's the crisps and um, other edibles in the middle. You've got the bag of miniatures. So you've got all the train cloths and then find the bag of miniatures and the front donkey. So just getting ready for a wargaming competition, really. Yeah, no, that's that's a box full of dice, isn't it? I can see yeah, on yeah. That, that donkey <laughs> at the front. Definitely. Oh, that works. Okay. So is, is this like the closing the door on the Ottoman army then? Yeah, so I... I I'm struggling to think of what extra I could um, add for the Turks. So I'm sure I'll park them now and then go find another army to set up. Okay. No, because it's, it's funny enough, I've sat looking on um, on the workbench here. I've actually got some, well, they're not quite Ottomans yet, if that makes sense. Um, I've been painting up today or the last day or so some um, horses from that Legio Heroic Order that... Um, I think I put in oh, before Christmas or something, or before Brexit anyway. And, um, and I've got about 20 Ottoman Sipahis and, and mounted bowmen and things like that to to paint up and base up because I just kind of got tired of, of if I was using an Ottoman army, just turfing out generic Arab cavalry. Um, and I want some with that little red hat thing and, um, and the white around it or the, the off-white around it. So, and then... But because it's been part of a big sort of undercoat thing, I just suddenly thought, right, I can do these horses now. I've got my horse trick with the inks and the different washes. So so I painted up the 20 horses and I've just done the final layer of um, army painter wash to them now. And and actually what's motivating me to do that, I've not even started the riders, but um, I also did in the last week or so a load of the museum z sculpts for their um scythians and greek cavalry that i was wanting to base up as thracians and kind of mix them all together so there's a mix of different guys with bows and javelins and different types of hats and quite a lot of got those sort of is it a phrygian cap or the scythian type type cap and the, the noddy hats the noddy hats that's exactly right yes <laughs> that's a much clearer description but um but those have been they painted up really nicely. It's interesting though, because they're one piece castings, which you know you don't see so much these days with um with cavalry. And it makes them, you know, easy to do and, and all the rest of it. But when they're all lined up, they're a little bit, you know, in line. And I, I painted up a dozen Zeist and Persian cavalry at the same time, and that is separate rider and horse. And and they are sat square on the horse and are kind of wide with their arms down by the sides and the rest of it they're at 90 degrees to the horse whereas a lot of the poses for the museum are are throwing a javelin along the axis of the horse or shooting a bow along the axis of the horse um and you know it it when you don't know you're looking for it you don't notice it because you can put the horses at different angles and things like that and and the museum sculpts have got 
almost more variety than I thought they did, really. I, th I think each of their packs has three different, subtly different poses or a different hat or a different, you know, some of them are bare-chested, so, some of them are well, not. Why do you like the single castings? Is it just um, sort of survival handling of them a bit better or something? Yeah, well, yeah, Is that I what you're trying Dave to tell us? Saying, Dave was saying sometimes they fall off, but, you know, it's. It, I think maybe it's something that, that used to happen. There used to be more companies that did, one piece castings but it's a lot of it's now just sort of museum are, are almost the outlier on that one and it, it painting them up it was like is it a good thing is it not you know it, it's just different but but you just need to to put the horses at slightly different angles and, and not necessarily be looking out for it but but i was really chuffed by the way they came out and um and also these um zeiston persian cavalry which is my my second dozen or so um so, so they got done this week, but I wanted to get the horses done for the Ottomans, partly because I was in a painting horses zone and partly because I want to get the horses off the little lollipop sticks so I can use the lollipop sticks to glue up the next batch of figures that's going to need undercoating because I ended up putting in um, an order to Donington to um, pick up some more Thracian infantry from Zeistern, which then added to an eBay purchase, which was slightly accidental, um, to get me the more Thracians that I thought I needed and, um, and then some more Egyptian spearmen. Slightly accidental, sort of, uh, what, you, you just, like, nudge the iPad while you No, no, it was, it, it, was really, it was the weirdest thing. So so I kind of mentally... You stared like, at you funny. No, I did. No, so like you'd done with um, Kurasan, I'd mentally worked out what, stuff i was going to buy from donnington which was you know some thracian infantry romphias and some with javelins and uh, this you know this that and the other and then i was also going to buy some of these really nice diced and egyptian spearmen um to make a i think it's a satayic egyptian army that needs about a dozen half a dozen of them and i've only got two bases and it needs about half a dozen and then i was going to get a couple of generals and some bits and bobs and then um on and then i was thinking oh do i get some more generals figures for all the hoplites i've rebased as well and then i saw a lot on ebay that was six packs of zeiston and five of them were ones i was going to order from donnington oh. um anyway and it was like that's a bit weird um it was like somebody was you know targeting me through very clever internet marketing so i managed to win that bid for less including postage for less than the cost of buying the five packs I wanted. So I, you know, I saved myself several pence there. Um, but then that gave me another extra week to think what I wanted to buy. So I probably ended up buying more from Donington anyway. Um, <laughs> and got that. But um, so so I've um, got this stuff coming six my way from six sorry? pack six pack from that eBay win. Is mm. that yeah. Is that something you can use anyway, or is it going to develop? Oh into no, the six pack is um some some kind of um, whatever they kind of Greek peasants hurling stones. There's a word for them, like hamiopii or the, what's the, um, plebs. plebs. Yeah, plebs. I think so. Uh, so I'm sure one of those Greek armies has some levy <clears throat> that um, they they can be, and if they're just plebs, they can get painted up kind of quickly. So Sinoi, basically. Yeah, I've, I've got far too many Greeks Sinoi. Um so I might try and find somebody that uses some um, some levy in it. And then I also got um, <coughs> in the post as well. There's there's a guy um, called Ryan who's runs w one of the Facebook groups for um, UK war games shows and events listings. So 
I always kind of look at that one when I'm updating the calendar on the BSGS site and he looks at this and the rest of it. And he got in touch and said that he's actually running a Kickstarter um, for a company to do some 10 mil um, Baron's War figures. And did I want some to have a look at? So I'm like, yeah, that's free stuff. Oh, Send I saw those. They look nice. Yeah, so I've, I've actually got um, a, a set of the infantry and and some of the um, cavalry and knights, and they're really sharp, actually. You know, the... There are very. These the ones we discussed in the last series. Of I think it. I think it might be. Yeah. Um. We we got some. They're super super sharp castings. They're very different in style to that kind of pen dragon, chunky, and will be painted with a sort of dry brushy technique, um, style. And um. So I've got a, a bucket load of them. I think sometime later this week. Um. I think I mentioned it last week. Me and Dave are going to do a. Um, Hang lane gyratory system rendezvous. Once Dave is confident that the um, the vaccine hasn't knocked him out for two days, um, in fact, we've not talked about that. How did it go? Did that? Did um, any oh, effects? I, I, it was all good. I had a nice chat with the nurse who uh, stuck the needle in me, <laughs> mm-hmm. and um, now I'm I'm actually feeling fine. No no ill effects. We'll see how I feel tomorrow morning. Yeah. How do you have the do you have the vaccination today? Yeah, this morning, ten o'clock this morning. Yeah, I, I I had mine on a Sunday morning. On Monday, I felt a bit ropey, just slightly fluey, but it, uh, that didn't last long. Although I did feel really tired for a couple of days. I, I, I've been no no more tired than I have been normally. Through no. <laughs> <No, laughs> my forced lockdown beyond belief, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, so I, I bagged these little ten mil figures up into to two different bags, and um, it will be handing over small plastic bag to Dave at Hanger Lane Gyratory System um, sometime towards the back end of this week and hopefully not being arrested for um, for, for, for well for, for doing whatever it looks like we probably are doing. And, um, and so I'm just, bags, yeah. I want to kind of get them undercoated as well just to see how they, how they work um, and, and what they do. You know, it's not, um, I'm not going to end up with a 10 mil army of, um, of Baron's Walk figures, but it's always nice just to try something in a different scale or. A yeah, different yeah, yeah. Sorry. Can we, can we do that as famous last words? Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to end up with this. Three no, podcasts no, no. later. Well, but you I, never, you, you, you know, this kind of jumped out at me. Exactly. But <laughs> I've, I've managed to resist the British Napoleonic army still for nearly, nearly a year now. That's, so that's, um, that's only because you haven't been playing the game on the table. That's as you do. Just buy them. Yeah. Tim, I think, there's some serendip- I think there's some serendipity going on here because it wasn't it was only a few weeks ago there was a question about, and you found out there was a battle in Peterborough that you never knew about before. Oh, and that battle Lincoln. was in the Barons. Lincoln, Lincoln, yeah, sorry, yeah. which is just down the road from your manor. Mm. And that battle was from the Barons' War. So you've now got the figures. So you're kind of duty bound yeah. to sort of like yeah. go down that rabbit hole. I think it'd be rude not to. Well, you know, look, I've got no intention of doing it, but you know how these things sort of tend to be. But, um, but yeah, it was just interesting to kind of get some get some extra stuff through the post. Dave, I'm not sure you've done much ten mil. Have you done any ten mil before? I, I can ask a question on that. I've never I've never bought any ten millimeter. Well, I have. I bought I bought some um, Calistra artillery, okay. medieval artillery, to use as light guns with fifteen millimeter crews. Yeah, <clears throat> so I got some. Uh, <clears throat> Essex crews and mix them there because that was actually Martin from Vixilia's idea. They're really good. They look really good for Hussite Latte. Well, the question I was going to ask is: these new Kickstarter ten millimeter, 
does that mean they're going to mix with old style minifigs 15 millimeters no no they're you know these are proper uh, that's the scale master proper yeah. 10 mil yeah super tiny yeah yeah right okay I, I, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to that that's teeny tiny engage I yeah, they tend to be on a, on a single strip like one row of miniatures like five four or five on a strip I think that's the old glory ones. That's the old glory ones. These are all separate. These are all individuals. But, okay, um, that, that's like oh, the minifigs oh, used to come on a strip, didn't they? No, they did. Yeah, but that was like really, really old scale. But uh, these are these are a little bit better than um, super old minifigs. But wow. but then again, I could probably carve something with a spoon that was better than um, some of those really old minifigs. I suspect. Um, unless Dave Allen's listening, in which that case they'd be fantastic as two p. Um, take taking back that story. This means war. This means war. Keep you on going around the, the circuit. So Tamsin, did you is it paratrooper week or are we no, are we still it's still being the six mil? Still six mil. Uh, this, this is frightening because this is going to give us a I'd standard finish, to look for with these 10 mil. I Last week I'd finished the mounted Confederates and mm. since that, since we did the last recording, painted up sort of dismounted cavalry, horse holders, some artillery and some limbers. Uh-huh. Really and I've started on horses, some horses, so some limber horses, horses to go, I, for, for dismounted cavalry stands. And also some horse casualties. So are those limbers, you know, a one piece with the limber and the horses then? No. It's no. Let the jockey club Se- find yeah. out. It's separate limber. And then you've got the limber horses coming sort of to three. So. Oh, okay. All right. Okay. Because it looked like on that earlier picture, you painted your limbers sort of a pale grey. Um, sort of sort of well, it's a pale green. Pale green, I was going to say, because mine are green as well. So, yeah. did you know? I think I did Does very spurious, superficial research. Did you? Did you look into what type of type of color it should be? Yeah, it should be a sort of. I mean, the limber color should be a sort of greenish, greenish gray color. I mean, because they used to make it, the artillery paint they used. They used to make yellow ochre with soot. Right. Okay. Get the to get the color and. When you mix in soot with, with yellow oak, you, you get a sort of greenish grey colour. Did you use Vallejo soot or did you use coat to arms soot when you were mixing it in with the... With the no, oak? I used sort of Vallejo green grey with a bit of, I think it was pale blue green mixed in. So there, and so there was a wet palette moment involved in doing that? No, not a wet palette. I just, not a wet palette. Yeah. Just mixed Hamden, in. if you want some soot, I do actually have a cold burning chimney, so I could post to some if you like. No, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you've, got, you've got to use American wood, though, um, to get the right colour, don't you? Yeah, carve them, carve the limbers out of American wood in six mil scale. <laughs> and then set fire to them. So, come on, scare me. How many different shading techniques did you use on the six mil? Uh, I don't. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your six uh, mil uh, is the equivalent uh, of my 15, then? The horses, <laughs> base, base coat and wash and then detailing. The sort of... The, the human. So what do you mean by detailing on the six mil? On the six mil on the horses, that'll be the sort of for bay horses, the either black black bits, white either white face and leg marks. And Tamsin, what do you mean by uh, base coat uh, and wash? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Because the wash sounds suspiciously <laughs> like you're doing some shading. Only on the horses. Oh, so you only do the one coat of shading on the six men, is what you're saying? On the horses. I don't I don't do shading on the on the humans. Okay. Humans. No, she paints the faces <laughs> on the humans. Yeah, yeah, they're contrast painted with uh, layers, highlights, lighting, and everything else. Uh, I know, but she's oh, set up person, so all the lighting comes from the one direction. And I know who goes more than sort of base wash and highlight is Michael Stocking, who used to run Angel Barracks. Oh, wow. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think he, he posted, I remember seeing a photo he posted, a, sort of a detail that he used to paint on six more Napoleonic hussars. He had the bloody brass buttons going down the leggings. <laughs> That can't be. That can't be real, can it? That can't be. They must have blown. Maybe they. Maybe he did them as three D renders and shrunk them down. But um, it's not bloody sane, anyhow. Not bloody sane. I although I did find out. Possibly I might have accidentally stumbled across this week a way of testing how good you anybody is at painting faces on figures. So um, I don't know if anybody's seen on the internet that um, that new site that creates moving video clips out of still pictures. It's um, there's like a genealogy site that is using this as a marketing gimmick, and uh, you upload a picture of one of your ancestors to it, and and they animate it, and you know it's it's using kind of very basic deep fake AI stuff to do so, um, but it is a little bit weird, um, and you know it's kind of convincing. So of course I thought, can I upload a picture of of the Hannibal figure? that I used for um, Hannibal in, in Mad Axman to get kind of an animated, um, you know, really moving live one. But the painting on that wasn't good enough, which was annoying. So I tried a few more pictures that I had, and um, I suppose it has not to do, not painting eyes on figures, but but I did have a picture of, um, I think it was a Wallenstein figure from um, Warlord Games. And I've got a, that figure but it's not painted up quite as well as the one on the Warlord site. So I had a, I used the picture from Warlord Games site of their mounted Wallenstein. And um, it's bloody weird. I've now got a 12 second video clip of, of Wallenstein, the figure kind of, but he's alive. And um, <laughs> it's just kind of the, the oddest so, thing going. You, show, you, need, you need to pop it up on screen for us. No, I've, I'm just thinking, yeah, I've got to try and find that. Just find out where I put it in the, um, here, obviously, I'll, I'll try and um, let's just have a dig it out. Um, it didn't uh, um, yeah. right. I but carrying on. I, so that's the painting I've done. I've got my uh, sort of the horses. I started them on Sunday, and but I ha I had my jab on my COVID jab on Sunday. Mm. <laughs> weird. What about that this? Is Freaking! <laughs> Isn't that the weirdest thing in the world? That's just wrong. That's just completely wrong. But we've been I'm investing in Mr. Bond. But that's a 28 mil figure that's been. Yeah, you know, but it, the, the eyes don't look right because uh, normal. Because it's a 28 mil figure. That's why they're looking in different directions. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, of course the eyes don't it's look right. It's a 28 the, mil figure. The irises are completely mm. different sizes. You can see that there and. Mm. Also, different uh, different height on the figure. But as Mr. Porter yeah. said, it's a bloody twenty-eight, 28 mil figure. figure. Yeah, yeah, that's really impressive. That's just astounding. And um, this, but scary. I think, where is it? Yeah. This is the picture Very. that I was um, just to quickly show you the picture that I was 
I was using. Um, Hannibal. The share. No, no, no. The one. Um, if I can try and find the, the one that I used as the original, um, wherever it's gone. Um, yeah, that was the original picture, and um, and that turned into that kind of deep fake, deep fake video. This could be a whole new game. This couldn't it? it yeah, I've got it a lot of like statues and uh, yeah, there's statues and things great. like that. People have people have animated statues and things, but um, but yeah, it's it is just kind of weird. But um, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be more of it. You know, 3D printing. That's just the light version of this. This is when the figures actually start moving and talking to you. That's um, <laughs> that's when it gets kind of completely weird. So but, hang on, your figures don't talk to you already? No, no, it's oh. the ones I don't own that oh. send me messages over the internet saying, buy me, buy me, rescue me from this horrendous manufacturer. I need to be I, in your set. I thought doors. it was last time you were having that dodgy uh, red wine, you know, the figures start <laughs> talking to you. Yeah. No, I think we've um, we, we nixed going back to that restaurant again, though, didn't we, last week? That one, um, <laughs> um, that one got stopped in quite short order. So, all right then. So, all right. So, so yeah. going going back to winding back a minute or so, mm. had my had my COVID jab on Sunday, and yesterday, sort of arm, yeah, left yeah, arm, go ahead. Was mm. a bit too, was a bit sore, bit too sore. No, I couldn't, couldn't really no, lift. Go ahead. Because I've no really hold on to the painting no. sticks, so. Didn't okay. get any done yesterday. Was able to get some a bit bit more done on the horses today. So got the black black markings done. So actually, so that's one, two, three, four. That's five of us then have been jabbed. I think Adam and Simon, you're just the last two, um, or, or the youngest two, quite possibly. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm in the young, the far far too young category. Well, for me, it's odd because I am sort of like far younger and more handsome and vigorous than most of the people um, on this podcast. Um, but so I'm at because at the moment they're saying they're doing 58s and above to 60s. And I'm actually well below that age group. But I got a text a few days ago um, from my GP saying you've been invited in for a thingy. So I'm being jabbed on Saturday. Oh, so um, the COVID business must be quite slow in Bournemouth at the moment because I'm being <laughs> dumb. Yeah. Well, they've maybe run out of old people, obviously. Maybe there's a big COVID gap between the um, the very old people and the very um, yeah. And but Bournemouth, it goes from like eighty to suddenly Adam's age. You know, it's yeah. like they, they skipped several. <laughs> there's no one in the middle. What you mean, eighty to twenty? Um, 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 mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That'll be the one. Something like it. Okay. All right. So, so Tamsin, then you so you got that done. That gave you a day's painting, and so yes. but you still not bitten the bullet and started basing all of these or have you still got another tranche of six mil to do there's, if you've done small tranche, no, there's some some human casualties some gabions and some cannonball piles okay um, and what what yeah. have you thought about what shade of black you're going to use for the cannonballs it'll be black i black, black. black, black. i right. dry brushed with gun metal right okay then so, Dave, that's disappointing to you. Then I'm sure you were hoping for more, more shades of different black that somebody could give you a tip about buying. You must be gutted. There's never enough black. There's never enough black. There's never enough black. All right. Okay. Um, and then let's keep going around. Um, Andy, what about you? What's been on um, your your skeletal painting pile? Are you down to the bare bones of finishing off that army, or um, is there any other pun that I haven't really thought of so far that um, you've probably been planning for the last fortnight to do no no because I, i've you obviously weren't paying attention because i finished the skeletons last oh, you did week. yes true yeah so i'm now on to various bits including the thracian 
cavalry. So I, I've got to wait until you finish your Thracian cavalry and then say, see, find out how you paint the things properly. Mm. Um, so that's partly what I'm doing. So I'm doing a whole mishmash of uh, what do you call the museum figures. So I've got a, a unit of hoplites, a unit of Indian swordsmen, and the rest of it is their Greek cavalry. And I've, so I'm just sort of undercoating and doing sort of preparing most of that stuff at the moment. And I'll gradually start filling in the bits. And uh, by the end of it, I'll have about six units of cavalry and two of infantry. And then it's on to another major project, which I haven't yet decided which one it's going to be. So how, how are you finding those um, those new museum ones then? Yeah, they're nice. I mean, the, the uh, I haven't done too much detail yet, so I'm not really in a position to judge. But I like the size and the proportion of it. I do take a point about they're very narrow and within the width of the horse. But I don't think that's a bad thing. Hmm. No, it's. A I've got a few. I've got a few of them. I've got one base of Scythians, and you know it's interesting that they are firing their arrows dead straight ahead. Yeah, yeah. Or up in the air in the case of doing them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're kind of cute figures. Okay, all right. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else been going on. Um, yeah, I did actually. Thing. I did have a go at uh, O Group. I set it up on the table and tried to okay. play around with it, and didn't actually get that far with it. There's a kind of thing that. I need to go back and read the rules again and wrap my head around what I did right, what I did wrong. And then one of th I wasn't too clear in some places. I tried the scenario that comes with the book, the D the Normandy one they give you at the end of the book. And it wasn't clear to me where you had this German machine gun platoon. Could you split it up into separate sections or was it tied to one company? I, I didn't find that very clear. So that kind of confused me a bit. I think I've support I support heavy weapon platoons. You can actually you can either keep them together or you can I separate them out into sections. Yeah, but what I wasn't clear of where it appeared in the order of battle. Was it part of a company or was it part of the entire battalion? Oh right, yeah. Um, if you look at the way it's set out, I assumed it was one uh, composite uh, platoon, and since each base of a medium machine gun has got six dice. When it was shooting, I assumed it fired 12 dice at its target, which seems somewhat hefty and dangerous. Depends yeah. which army. Um, I don't know about O Group, but different well, these armies are, are different uh, ones for heavy machine guns. Well, but these, these, these kind of medium machine guns, the kind of MG42s or 34s on, on a tripod firing out of a, uh, an, up, an upstairs window. Oh, that's the normally company-based then. Um, because they're they're usually based up for, as a heavy weapons platoon. Yeah. platoon. In, terms of, in terms of the order of battle, just looking at the scenario, so you've got one company, two company, three company, which tells you what both you've got. Then you've yeah. got MG platoon. Yeah. So it's separate from the companies. So that's yeah. not part of three companies, it's just like no. a battalion asset. But no, you have a, as like part of battalion groups, you have a heavy weapon platoon. battalion asset. Right, okay. so I could have put one section with different companies if i wanted yes you also have the camps group the mixed groups as well so later on they had very much you know grab what you can and you have mixed groups set up of both uh panzer grenaders um tanks anti-tanks etc etc with um much more mixed and not under a fixed order of battle well no the germans are more flexible in terms of the reserve guys which are sort of off the table you can bring them on and attach them to any any company in your battalion 
and the same with Americans. Whereas British, you have to define your reserves as to who they're coming on with. Yeah. I was I was chatting to um to a mate of mine um, who who lives in um, Thailand about it, and he was saying that whole thing that you know was my pseudo whinge um, last week or half-hearted whinge of you have to actually write down the orders in a game called orders group and um he said they'd already looked at that and thought the sort of the solution to that is just to do a rough sketch map of the table and overlay a very simple kind of four by four or five by four grid on it and then mark the grid squares to say you're here or the ambush is here or you know something is yes. is it and then that actually super you know that took away all that well, you know, it's sort of along the road and a bit, you know, it's like it's in that square and that's where it is. It just kind of automates it a bit, makes it a little bit more um, tick box for, for more formulaic war games like me with dreadful handwriting who, who have forgotten how to do all that sort of stuff. I think also someone said there was a, um, issues about how the information about tanks is spread all throughout the different rules, but, but people are already pulling that together into a database and spreadsheets and things like yeah. that too. Yeah. So I'd give it another go, having read the rules to sort of work out what I was think I was doing. But um, yeah, it looks potentially promising. Good. OK, well, look, that's that's interesting. Um, I, I... T Tim, you said about lists. Uh, yeah. Wasn't um, was it Martin from Vexilla? Didn't he do some lists for ADLG or something? No, he's, he's done a new version of the um, army list builder spreadsheet um, in Google Docs, I think, with more of the the options pre-populated about what allies are possible and what the terrain is and, and things in different datelines. So it's, it's a lot of it's pre-pop. Um, and I think Kevin, Kevin Johnson has been helping and, and a couple of other people had some input in to, to kind of tighten that up. Cause I think the one on the website's got, um, it's not quite, you know, it, it, it works, but I think sort of it, it could be better. Um, but I, I've also got a sneaking suspicion that, um, Martin may not have realised that Little Army Designer website still exists, and it was just the domain that had gone. Um, but but again, there's all sorts of people prefer different ways of of pulling together those lists when they're they're planning for for competitions. But but maybe you know before we start talking too much about competitions, um, that maybe actually leads us on almost inexorably to um, to finish the what have you painted section this week. And then move on to our new, um, increasingly popular and increasingly commented upon feature. And um, we will sit back and roll the theme music for I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Arse. Coming up next on Madaxman Radio, it's I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Arse, the antidote to informed discussion shows. At the piano this week is Scott Joplin, and your chairman is Sir Humphrey Humphreyson. Hello and welcome everybody to this week's edition of I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Arse. You join us this week from the Philip Barker Resonance Assembly Hall in Upton Snodsbury in rural Worcestershire, just a few miles down the road from North Piddle. Located here in the heart of England, visitors who climb to the top of a nearby hill are greeted with a view covering seven different counties. And on a clear day, it is said you can sometimes even catch a sight of Birmingham off in the distance despite the many prominent warning signs advising against this. So look, we're here in in this glorious, glorious location for our 
episode of I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Ass this week. And by, I think it must be said, popular demand, um, we are going to yet again yield the um, the Zoom floor, the, the podcast terrain to um, Mr. Adam to um, to just, you know, tease us, tell us what your your theory your your what you're looking to expound this week in your your analysis of the world of wargaming okay thank you very much can i just check when you say by popular demand do you mean by two people commenting i think it's two yes i think it's two but, but given that you know the feedback that we get for this that's pretty spectacular more than anything else in history yeah Fair yeah. enough. Okay, what? Because when we were talking last week, um, Tim, I remember Tim mentioning that sort of like when you talk about th- on wargaming on thread, someone's always mentions that competition gamers are like evil. Um, and it's not only that, it's Martin, Mr. Vilexia, um, he wrote quite a complimentary um review of this podcast thank you very much martin but he said two things that i thought oh and one was they're all from central london but don't let that put you off and i thought bit cheeky you know what i mean it's like we're doing our best to bring style and class to the wargaming world so like having a go at us for being from london and the other thing he said was um they're all competition wargamers and don't let that put you off and again i thought mm. and the other thing is i remember from years like decades ago it was there was a magazine i think it might have been practical wargamer and do you know every now and then in war games you get um wargame magazines you get the article of what is wargaming and it's all this sort of like thing about there's different eras and it's ancient and medieval and blah 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 and there's different scales even though they're not bloody scales but we won't go there today um and he sort of said that sort of um, competition wargamers are horrible and he sort of said a couple of offhand comments. And at the end of the article, it said something like, so whatever you do, I, wargaming, I hope you really enjoy it, apart from you competition wargamers. And I thought, that's a bit harsh. Um, so I was going to sort of like talk about how, why people are so, so offish to people that play, go to competitions. Um, but then I thought, as I sort of like trying to get people on the podcast to vote for what i say as you're all competition wargamers i thought that would quite be quite easy to get you to vote for me and i also thought that there must be something in it if there is this whole perception in the majority of the wargaming world that people do competitions are to be frank a bunch of tossers that perception has got to come from somewhere and then i thought about most of the people i've met at competitions and i thought yeah, fair enough, actually. So, what? I thought what I would do is I would talk about competition wargamers and their faults and what's wrong with it. Okay. Now, I'm not just going to have a go because you know me, I'm a helpful chap. I'm not rude. I don't like to sort of like insult people. So, I thought I, instead I would sort of like do it as advice for um, competition wargamers. Okay. This is, this um, is and sort then of an you- ad agony Adam sort of. Exactly that. And then you can decide whether my advice is any good or whether I'm an arse. Okay. But before I go into that, I would just like to say about competition wargaming, one thing that I know there's a lot of negativity in the wargaming world about it, but I would just like to say I've been doing competition wargaming now for decades and this is genuine. I'm not even being sarcastic. It's enriched my life 
And it's not so much the games I've played, but it's more the people I've met. I mean, look at the people on this podcast. This is a correct collection of people that would never come together, usually. We, we would just never meet. We would never be in the same places. But I've met you all through doing war well, games. Certainly not without police involvement, really. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, precisely. Um, and I've met lots of lovely people doing war games. I've even met northern people that I've actually quite liked, which is like a bit of a... No, no, I know. I know, but it's like true. Okay, I've you're, even you're not, met, I, I notice you're not mentioning the southwest there, though. Well, you are. I, you but are, I've yeah. even met an Australian that I didn't find um, that I didn't find made me feel physically sort of like ill by being in their presence. So it's it's not all bad. And I've had wonderful times doing war games. Um, some of you have done this, some of these things with me, and some of you have done other things. But it's like going to Bath and having a tapas bar saying they are staying open because we turn up. I mean, that was lovely. Going to Italy and going to a nightclub that had the decor of a posh toilet and there were lots of break dancing and the bouncers refused us exit. I'm still not sure what was going on there, but it's, it's, I've had a fun time in my life doing competition war games. So everything I'm about to say doesn't apply to everything and everyone, but I would like to say if it applies to you, all I'm doing is holding up a mirror. And if you don't like the reflection, nothing to do with me. Don't blame the mirror for the reflection. Okay. Are we, are we before that on a technicality? Are we sure that many war gamers actually do own mirrors at, at all? You know. Um... Well, no, I don't think they do. They certainly don't own a mechanism to self-reflect. So I'm just giving them mirrors. They've got to check the line of sight. (laughs) I'm just giving them that opportunity, okay? And I don't want them to be angry at me for giving them an opportunity to grow as a person, okay? Self-reflecting on their behalf. I I get it, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So the first piece of advice, all the advice I've I've given a title, right? And the first piece of advice is it's not the dice, it's you, okay? First piece of advice. Now, Quite often when I play someone in competition and war game, at the end of the game, if I win, they'll be on the other side of the same and say, oh, I was really unlucky with the dice. Now, when people say this to me, I always agree with them for two reasons. Firstly, all the time they think that, they're going to carry on being the mediocre player they undoubtedly are. And if I play them again, it will be another easy win. Okay. (laughs) And the second reason I agree with them is I've got a policy of not arguing with idiots. It so never you're, you're starting well. the psychological warfare early, you know. No, you're you're pre-laying no the psychological warfare for next well, time you play it, and that's Peter, already. Peter, I understand, okay, but if you see yourself <laughs> in the mirror, nothing to do with me. Okay? No, it's the dice yourself... bit. It's the dice bit where people defeating <laughs> themselves by the dice bit. Because I've sat next to you in a competition, and I've heard someone saying that to you, and just seeing you just go quiet and just drink your pint and just go. Yeah, okay, no problem. Yeah, no, it's, it and, 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 and I've just told you what. Now, I will give, I will say that it is possible to have a game that you lose on a dice, okay? You can just have, you can have one of those games. But those games might happen one in 10, one in 10, 20 times. And remember, you'll get just as many games where you only throw fives and sixes as you only throw ones and twos, okay? Now, in competitions, you tend to, no matter the rule set, you tend to get the same people usually winning or coming in the top five yeah and they don't keep coming in the top five because the universe is out to get you 
okay? They keep coming in the top five because they're good at playing this bloody game and you're not, okay? So what you want to do is you want to go away, stop blaming the dice and thinking about how you're playing the game. Because sometimes you get people saying, oh, well, I haven't been lucky overall, but there was just a couple of dice rows that I was really unlucky, okay? That might be true. But if you've got a plan to win a game that relies on getting lucky in a couple of dice rows, you can't be upset if it doesn't come off 50% of the time. And if your plan is to get lucky 50% of the time, you're going to come halfway up the table at the end of the competition. So it's you're not also the going dice. You're very disappointed in most nightclubs and, um, and bars, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. It's not the dice, okay? You need to look to yourself, okay? It's not you. Now, the second piece of advice which is kind of linked to the it's not the dice is you i've entitled titled stop whining your big pathetic baby okay because quite often when people think they're losing because of the dice they'll sort of like go on about it and i'm i'm, I'm really not kind of interested okay and there's one of two ways that they can whine about it either because either because the dice haven't been bad for them and they're just blaming the dice. And I refer the honourable gentleman to the answer I gave some moments ago. Or you have got one of those games where you've got really bad dice that has genuinely gone wrong for you. But I would still say, stop whining, you big pathetic baby. Okay, save it until the end of the game where you can go to the crash with everybody else that's got the emotional range of a toddler and you can whine about it there because I'm not interested. Right. What you should do when you get one of those games is, Tim, do you remember that game at Burton one time and we had the samurai and we just got trampled by a load of elephants? Yes, now, absolutely. Yes, I that, remember that, that was vividly. one of those one in 10, one in 20 games where hmm. it's like the first clash. And I remember you had six combats in a row that you threw one or two and you just took all your toys off. Yep. And Hang on, you're blaming the dice now. You just said you spent 10 No, I've said. No, no, wait, 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 wait. I've said. And now you're blaming the dice. No, I've said. <laughs> Apart from 10, this game, one, of course. One in 10. Oh, it's the problem. He's, 10, he's just a typical competition games. gamer, isn't he? Yeah, he's a typical yeah, competition yeah. gamer. It's all coming out now. One in 10, one in 20 games, it happens, okay? And the way that me and Tim dealt with it is how you should deal with it, okay? What we did is we mentioned a couple of times Oh bloody hell! That was that was that was rubbish, wasn't it? And our opponents went, "Yeah, you had really unlucky dice then." And then we carried on playing the game, okay? And we pulled it back a little bit, but we got beat because we were too far behind the game, okay? We took our beating like adults, took our beating like adults, and we congratulated our opponents, and then we left. Now, on the journey home, Kevin and me. In the oh, next that game. journey home was dreadful. You were just whinging all the way. It was outrageous. Well, yeah. yeah. On the journey home, yeah. we just wins like a pair of eight-year-old girls whose parents yeah. wouldn't let them play Roblox. Yes. But it must be said, a BMW is suspiciously like an affluent middle-aged man's version of a crash on wheels. Right. So as I say, <laughs> it's like we sort of we whinged about it, but that was between consenting adults. Okay. And mm. if it's between consenting adults, that's fine. Because if you moan about your dice, or if you moan about anything, the matchup or the terrain in the game, what you're saying to your opponent is two things. Firstly, you're saying you don't deserve to win, okay? And that's out of order because they're there, they're doing their, their best, they're playing, and if they beat you, they deserve to beat you. And saying to somebody, uh, the universe is against me, you didn't deserve to win, is actually out of order. And the second thing that you're doing is you're just making this noise. 
I'm trying to have a game. I don't want this noise in the background. Okay. So if you continue to do that with me when I'm playing you, I'm going to introduce you to my other hobby. Okay. And my other hobby is baking. Okay. Because if you continue to do that to me, I've baked you some really nice and tasty shut the fuck up cakes. Okay. You can have as many as you need because I'm not interested. Yeah. Okay. So second piece of advice, stop whining. Okay. Third piece of advice, have a shower. Okay. Or a bath. Well, come on. You, this is a step too far, Adam. Really? Even this is meant to be a comedy feature. Surely this is, <laughs> we're now getting into the realms of the ridiculous. As I said, it's advice. Have a shower or a bath. Now I would say, and this is by no means everybody that attends uh, war games competitions. And I was going to say, if it's you, you know it's you, but you probably don't, okay? So I'm going to give you some advice of how to deal with this. When you go to a war games competition or in life in general, okay, here's some general advice that will see you good. It doesn't, doesn't apply in every situation, but it'll apply at a war games competition to keep you on the right side of honking, okay? Ask yourself this question. Have I had a shower or bath in the last 24 hours? If the answer is yes, you're probably all right. If the answer is no, that needs to start working its way to the top of your priority list with increasing urgency. Okay, so just ask yourself that question. And if you get the answer no, act on it. Okay, simple. That one was simple. The next one, um, and, and this this is the core of it. This is a core of why people don't like competition players. So, and if it's you, you probably don't even know it's you. Okay, this is the Dunning Kruger effect writ large. Okay, this 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 is where it is. And I'm either going to entitle this one if your positive self image relies on you winning a game of toy soldiers, you need another hobby. <laughs> or if winning the competition is the most if winning the game is the most important thing to you when you're playing the game you need another bloody hobby okay now this carries a multitude of sins and it's mainly people that are fixated with winning and don't care about any other things okay and this is why people think competition gamers are actually a bunch of tosses. And it can be very many things. It can be from the small to the really large. It can be, oh, I'm going to apply different standards to my play to yours. So if you're measuring, I'm going to watch you like a hawk. But if I'm moving my troops, oh, that's gone slightly too far. Okay. I've seen, and all these have happened to me as an opponent. I've seen people do all these. Okay. Oh, I've gone slightly too. Oh, did I? Oh, sorry. Um, rules interpretation. Some people, and I've had this trying to get away with not playing by the rules. And when I pull the moment up on it, they go, oh, really? I didn't realise. And it's like, yes, you did. I've seen you playing this game for years. You realise and you're just trying to pull, pull, pull a fast one. And I've got no respect for you. All the way up to, I've seen people, when it's, I've, been, I've looked at a table and thought, yeah, you're screwed, mate. I'm going to win this in the next two moves. And, this, and, and I remember an example playing in Italy. And this is back when fags were cool, okay? Or cigarettes for our American listener. 
I looked at the table and thought, I am all over you. You're done. Okay. I'm going to go and have a fag. You can do what you want because you've lost. So I went out for a cigarette, smoked my cigarette, came back in, and the troops were actually in different places. And I went, hang on. Oh, no, I moved it there. And it's like, no, there's there's no way it could have. I won't go into the details of DBM, but it's like, no, there's no way that could have. It's, oh, no, it was because it was like this. And I looked at them, and what can you say? I just looked at them and thought, you're a cheating bastard. Um, but there's nothing you can do. I've had games where, after deployment, I remember a game with Martin when we were playing doubles. We put the toys on the table, and you look at it and you go, we've won this game, there's no way we can lose this game, because they've deployed really badly, we've deployed really well, done deal. And in three and a half hours, we did about four moves, because they took about... 45, 50 minutes for each of their moves because they knew they'd lost. And it's just like, if you're losing, you've got to give your opponent a chance to get the victory. I remember a game I played with Dave. He, he was beating me and I was like, oh God, what am I going to do? And I made sure that I moved quick enough so he could get one more move in to go for the win. Now, as it happened, the dice didn't come off and we got a draw and that's fine. But it's it's winning isn't that important. So yeah, don't worry, Dave. So winning isn't that important, okay? What's important is just like having a fun time. So, oh, another piece of advice I would like to give, and this is a more personal piece of advice. That, that's, that's the global stuff, okay? That's the important stuff. And if I've been talking to you, right, you need to look at that. Now, quite often, people who a childish enough to think playing toy soldiers is an important thing don't realize that it's them again it's a dunning-kruger effect so i would urge everyone to sometimes try and step outside of where they are and look at themselves objectively um because quite often guys you look like a bit of a twat and you need to sort of like sort it out. Now, the thing is, I have caught myself being caught up in this sort of like a rules argument. You go, oh, oh, oh. but I try to have some self-awareness and it's like, oh, is it important? No, it's not. I'll still argue for a bit, but it's like, I, I don't really care. So that's important stuff. If you want more people to play competitions, just chill out, guys, actually. But the last piece of advice is like more personal advice, okay? Oh, it comes from a more personal place, and it's this. Try and acknowledge people, okay? Try and acknowledge people, try and know their names. And the reason why this is a personal thing is um, my boy was born about 11 years ago, and I stopped going to competitions largely when, when I had children because I just didn't have the time. And I've been going more and more as I've been getting older. But I still don't go a huge amount. But if I go and do a doubles game, I quite often play with Tim. Now, I am, I am genuinely grateful that I get to play with a wargaming superstar like Tim, Mad, Axman, and Porter. Okay? I'm, yeah, yeah. Uh, how, how, how can I be more genuinely sarcastic than that? Okay, I'm, I'm genuinely grateful that um, I can ride on Tim's um, popular coattails. Okay? But I would just like to say our team isn't Tim and that bloke playing with Tim, okay? I, I, I think team... I might have to correct you on that one, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> you can shut up. Yeah. Well, because... all the team is Adam and that bloke can play with him. Yeah. No, because <laughs> nobody knows my name. Everyone knows Tim. Even to the point of sort of like, we've been, we've finished the game and at lunch, someone's come over to me and me and Tim are playing, playing in doubles team. They've come over to me and said, oh, how's Tim doing in the competition? And it's like, <laughs> and I've had to say, well, he's actually 
playing quite poorly and I've had to sort of like drag him along. So he won the last game. It's like, my name's Adam. I, I am on a journey to become a fully self-actualized person, okay? And trying to suggest that I don't exist, I find hurtful. It hurts well, me. Okay? Just because so, just you got your sidekick badge. Yeah, being yeah, a sidekick. Actually, yeah, just because of that. Yeah. We're going to have to call you You're Robin the Robin to his Batman, basically. <laughs> well, I'm not, okay? I'm not, but... It's funny because you won't wear the outfit. <laughs> Which is why I'm bloody annoyed, okay? No, yeah. what, what, what value of yellow would that be, Tamsin? Yeah. <laughs> so, my last piece of advice, and this is really Jungle important, okay? My last piece of advice, this is really important. If you're at a competition and you meet me, buy me a beer, okay? It's, yeah. it's good advice, sir. Now, if you are one of the tossers that I've been talking about, I probably won't like you any more for it, but I promise to try and pretend that I do, okay? Because you've so got I'll, a beer. Yeah, buy me a beer. Yeah, so that's my advice for competition war gamers. This means war. This means war. Can I make a few observations? First one is that um, I agree with you to some extent. I think that when you're playing a game. The result needs to be important. Otherwise, what's the point of playing? But yeah. the minute it's over and you shake hands with your opponent and say, thanks, well played, you move on. But at the time you play, you've got to play with a certain degree of intensity. Otherwise, there's no point in playing. Oh, I've got no problem playing to win. That, that's the yeah. point. It's, it's like saying, oh, I only play chess because I, I like social. No, it's, just don't play then. Do, do something else. If you don't want to be competitive, if you don't want to try and win, go and bake. No, but say, once the game's over, that's it. You move on. I quite agree. I mean, you and I had a cracking game at um, Bournemouth uh, when we were both top of the list um, about a year ago. And uh, you narrowly won that one. But that was a good game because I was in a chance of winning. I didn't win, but things have gone slightly different. I would have done. But either Don't way, worry, it was a good Andy, game. I agree with you. Right? You were unlucky on the dice. Yeah, but I'm not moaning about it. I'm just, I didn't even yeah. mention the dice, did I? Oh, yeah, two years ago. You, you missed a couple of others. You're bringing Simon it out now. Particularly loves bring it up for academic purposes, aren't you? Two years later, for sure. No, I'm making the yeah. point that we had a game I lost, but it was an enjoyable game. I'm it's pointing not... out competition wargamers can actually be quite difficult, and I'm just giving them advice. And this, if you want to sell competition wargamers, competition wargamers have got to up their social game to be perfect. I, I actually think that I think there was a perception of competition wargamers being a bit arsy in the past. But I think, particularly with what we do, and this is going to sound very self-centered, I think we've all lightened up a lot. But I think, Adam, that you know what you're saying there, or what it sounds like, is you're trying to make a mountain out of a molehill of problems that have sort of gone away because we're all just older, really. And I think a lot of people have actually learned not to be assholes um, over the last few years. I think a few years ago, yeah, you know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, it was. Um, it got too intense. I think there was a whole culture of um, rankings. I think, yeah, there was a whole thing about rankings were taken seriously. And then there was like a national competition that you had to qualify to get into this. And, and I think the whole culture of the way it was set up with, um, yeah, if you got in the top six, the top 10, you then got to this other competition and, and the rest of it. 
there was a culture being created, actively created, um, that drew in people who took it seriously. And I think a lot of the people were just younger and newer to it. And now I think people are just a bit played out. Um, uh, particularly, I think with DBM, there was a huge influx of new people to, to a competition circuit that never really existed. And it was everybody's first experience of competition and nobody really knew how to do it. And because it said the word competition, people kind of were like, well, I've got to be competitive. And, and the whole system was sort of set up to focus on, on those results and, and that sort of thing. Whereas nowadays, now that everything in ancients is very fragmented, you're only playing in a, a smaller pool of people and we've all been playing for 30 years. So we're just not that fussed anymore. You know, there's, there's, so I many think that's true. But again, you're talking about your ADLG, ADLG scene. I think there are other competitions because people do play other games competitively as well. It's like, there's sort of like not wings, but what's the star Wars one. I, I, I remember seeing the flames of war stuff uh, again, uh, on the worlds. And that was hilarious because um, I think a couple of guys were speaking to one of the teams because it was teams multiplay and they said, oh, do you guys regularly play with each other? Said, no, no, no. We all hate each other. And this is all in the same team. But we're all the best players in that so-and-so country. And yeah. it's just surreal. Uh, you know, we're sat there having a beer, having a bit of a laugh. And it's just it was a very different scene. They had spotters going on to look at the next table and everything else. It was just this, this was the competition we went to in Salamanca. So we yeah. had uh, ADLG, Flames of War, and there might have been some Warhammer um, um, games. And we were fascinated by the, the sheer level of, and I'd put the terms loosely, professionalism mm. or focus that this flames, these Flames of War teams were having. So they had, you know, the, you know, there's a couple of teams from Australia and New Zealand who'd flown over, like, there's like a team member for each period because you had uh, the three or four periods of World War II. Then you had a spotter, a ref, a coach. Regretfully, a couple of ladies who looked very, very fine, but, you know, their whole job was there was to distract part of the, the audience. And you're thinking, hang on, you are basically just running around, pushing little teams going pew, pew, and something explodes, and then we all went to tapas that evening. You think, has something gone a bit wrong? Well, it was hilarious watching it. Just to think, you find halfway around the world and you don't even like dealing with the person you're with. I mean, I'm not going to fly 30 hours on a flight just to play a game with a knob. See, and there, the competition war game is, it give competition war game is a bad name. And the problem is, I think you're right, um, Dave and Tim, I think you're both right in ADLG. I think we've got older. I think we just don't care anymore, to be honest. We're just sort of like more laid back. But we, 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 we like winning, though. But it's yeah, yeah, like we try to win. The style of it as well. Care if you do too much comments. Quick comments. Wait, wait, wait. We're just a very small, we're just a very small segment of the competition scene. And there's still the perception that competition war game is a tossers and that must come from somewhere. Quick comment. In Salamanca, they kept stealing our chairs, those bloody flames of war. <laughs> we, had to, we, had to, we had to guard our own chairs. Actually, we did. we did. We did. We did. We no, but I think those, those are people of, that's interesting, but they're people of the same age and the same, you know, peer group in from you know I, I knew some of the other competitions but the way that competition circuit is organized domestically and internationally creates or well, either creates or attracts extremely competitive people whereas i think it is it's down mod- to it's, I, it's down based to, on the warhammer model it's based on the warhammer model but i think it's down to the the people running events 
to create a culture of we're here to to say that oh your toys are interesting let's have a good game and the key outcome is to have a good game and leave the person on the other side of the table thinking you're a nice guy um, and that's a bit of yeah. give and take give and take yeah. isn't it it's part of the people creating it then it's the people to turn it's a up social contract isn't I, it yeah exactly. but i just remember it's it competition war gamings can be done well hmm. follow my advice or it can be done badly and i think overwhelmingly still it must be done badly because of the perception outside competition war gaming of what it's like and i just remember when it's like when we were playing dbm and it got over competitive um i remember when we were playing in italy and it was sort of like we had the morning game we were having lunch and we asked the italian organizer when the afternoon game started and he just looked at us and said when lunch is over and shrugged and walked <laughs> off and i thought yeah that's that's exactly the correct attitude yeah. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, that's, that's what it was like when we were playing in Rome. It was hilarious. Yeah, no, it's um, brilliant. A couple so of years the Italians, back. It great. So the Italians do it well, um, but that's actually quite rare, at least in England. And um, and I've been to competitions in the US, it's all the US and other European countries, and there is still too much of the um, over competitiveness. I feel. Yeah. But I, I still think that comes down to whoever's organising the competition to to consciously take that decision to try and set the tone um, and do it and you know i, I, I think, think also that what, what you were saying about you know, it must still be going on uh, i think it's going on a lot less but the people who whinge about it online are people who go i went to you know inevitably competition war was dreadful is followed by i went to a competition once 30 years ago i'm never going back it's not i went to one two weeks ago and I'm never going back. It, so you're saying been. it's changed and the perception hasn't changed? I think yeah, it's changed for the better. Um, it's still got pockets of um, of over-competitiveness. But I think because it's now more fragmented, and I think a lot more people are are conscious of it, and a lot more people are just older, you know, you've got, you've got the fragmentation means it's not such a big thing. More, a bigger percentage of the competition circuit is not, organized in a way which engenders hyper competitiveness um you know it's just the, structured differently also and, and so people, people are older yeah so some people also see it as a i mean even at our club you know we've got a lot of you know competitive war gamers but some people don't like playing in competitions because they, they prefer to have say a historical opponent or they're not really into sort of the min-maxing stuff that, you know, I've been in the club when we've been talking about it, and some people have, like, taken a step back and gone, look, okay, that's a bit too much min-maxing and everything else. I just like to play my game and everything else. And fine, I, I'm not stressed. That's why we sometimes do the one-dayers, because it just takes the stress off. And uh, some of our more, you know, people uh, like myself and some of the others who go on the competitive scene a fair bit, we just take along an odd army just to give it a go and see what it's like to try out something different and pull in a lot of people who don't usually do competitive war gaming. But if so you, you think you know, competition war gaming has changed that much, when they start up again and go to a big competition, walk around and sniff the air, and I think you'll find the smells telling you that some things haven't changed. Adam, that's part of lockdown, mate. You know, yeah. <laughs> that's a different matter. <laughs> yeah, I think our standards for personal hygiene have just all completely changed anyway. You know, we're not going to have been in the same room with anybody who we're not related to for, for nine months. So, you know, that's going to be a real shock to all of us, really. It's, um, but I've got an excuse for the hand cleanser now. Yeah, no one's <laughs> been able to go out and buy a new pair of jeans since, you know, 2019. It's just going to be shameful really what it means? there's only tracksuit pants isn't there 
Yeah, and, and no one's going to have got a new heavy metal tour T-shirt either. I, I came back to this to competition. I, I came back to wargaming full stop 10 years ago with the express purpose that playing competition was what I'm going to do till I drop dead. Now, I think it takes four years probably of playing competition inside out before you get competent enough to actually play. So there is a major investment of time and effort to become a competition player. If you can get past that, it's worth it because it's a really great hobby. But then I think in that time period, it's changed from that, as Adam was saying, the DBM model of the ultra competitive ranking, things like that. It's then splintered a bit. Fog was very competitive. A great eight years of my life playing Fog, loved it to bits. But it became very samey with everybody showing up the same army. Now it has loosened up and it's become quite fun to just show up with a different army. And because the rule set that we all play in ADLG has got a fair amount of luck, things throw up. Do you get people who don't consider themselves very good doing really well in competitions occasionally? I disagree, Dave. I don't think all, all war games got a fair amount of luck, or if it uses dice, it does. But again, ADLG. If you look at the people that come top of the table in every competition, it's like Gordon keeps coming in the top three. If uh, it was Gordon luck, comes pretty low. Quite, uh, he has some pretty ropey results as well. But, okay. but I, I still think there's a theory that the people who are whinging about competitions are doing so on the basis of two things. I think one is they're always saying 25 years ago and I'm never doing it, and secondly, because they're people who only ever play at home with a group of three of their mates that they went to school with. And that's the only three people they've ever walked with. They lack the social skills to form the social contract of I am going to sit and play opposite a complete stranger and play a game with you within the context of a framework of rules. And we're both going to both balance playing the game to win and not being ourselves um, and just having a social contract to say we're building a game that we're trying to yeah, play to win but play it fair and, you know, in the same way rugby will, you know, textbook, they'll beat crap out of each other on the pitch and then have a pint afterwards and, and not fight in the bar. Um, there's that element about war games as well. And, and I think actually your people who whinge about it lack that rugby player's mentality to sit down afterwards and go, yeah, we both went for that, didn't we? But, you know, that was still good. They, they don't have the social skills to do that, um, that kind of weird social contract thing because so they've wait, only ever I met three check, people. Can I just check, Tim? Are you saying that most competition war gamers do have social skills? I think they have a lot more social skills than someone who only does a you know scenario who's built a, a 156 scale replica of the Battle of Brandywine in their triple garage in um, in a shed in deepest, darkest Kent that they're making with drop cast 56 mil figures that they've hand carved themselves out of donkey droppings and that everybody at their club, which is only six people because they've never actually met anybody else um, are all doing that. And then, you know, one time they keep talking about going to take it to salute as a demo game. And then that never happens because they're not actually allowed out. And um, there's probably a restraining order on them sometime, but they do post on blogs and, you know, that's when it gets us back into TMP, doesn't it? So, so my theory is it's the people who whinge about it are all a bit rubbish. Um, that's my reckoning. Okay, I've got two words for you there. If you're playing with the competition, war gamers are actually socially quite um, relative. Relatively, two words: Dunning Kruger, mate. Yeah, you could possibly could be right. Possibly could be right. But look, so Adam, do you want to um, to wrap up and give us your proposition? Then we can all go around the um, around the houses and give you a judgment. 
Actually, my proposition is this, because being a competition wall gamer, I can't say they're all tossers because it's like that would be sort of like self-hate and um, that's not a good thing. My proposition is this. Um, I really, really enjoy going to competitions. I've done it for a long time and it's enriched my life. However, I have met a lot of people and I've played a lot of people that just really annoy me okay for various me reasons and they shouldn't have to and the reason why they annoy me is they lack self-awareness and they need to sort it out and they need to figure out self-awareness whether this be about the smell or whether this be about the social interactions they need to be able to step outside themselves and have an awareness of who they actually are if they did their life would get better and so would competitions so so that's your proposition then. And um, you're saying it's down to there are some of these people out there. That's the issue. And, and they just need to, to sort their lives out. And then that everything would all be hunky-dory. Yeah, you don't have to be. It's like you can choose to improve. It's not, na it's not nature-nurture. It's down to flawed individuals. That's the issue. Well, they're not flawed. They're just tossers. Well, okay. <laughs> All things are relative. Right. Okay. So Adam's proposition that competitions are spoiled by tossers um, rather than, you know, any other way of it being situational, contextual, all the rest of it. Let's run around it. Andy, what do you think? I agree with Adam. I don't think yet people spoil it for being tossers. I just think that if you are a tosser, you need to sort yourself out. But I don't think competitions that we play are spoiled by tosses because most of the people we play with and against we tend to get on with but yes i agree with him tamsin what about you i agree with him and i'd just like to add i say old chap you're playing soy soldiers the wrong way indeed <laughs> indeed pip, pip. simon what about you i agree with adam i think you know at the end of the day, we've got to always have to remember we are just playing toy soldiers and we are playing it for a laugh. And even if we are playing for first prize, we might be paying for a big 50 pounds, maybe. The world's not going to collapse. No one, you're not going to win millions and millions of pounds of sponsorship. We're just playing a war game to have something to do on the weekend. So, and it's like every now and then, even I know I have to remind myself sometimes stop being a dick. Don't argue the rules DVM style and just play the game and have fun. It's just a game. Relax. Then well, if you need to walk outside and just go, yeah. come back in and go, it was me being the issue, not you. Right. Okay, then, Peter, running along the middle line, what about you? Yeah. I, the, from what I'm saying, it, you know, I think I've been in the fortunate position that I missed some of the DBM stuff. I've seen it, you know, very little of it in a couple of the other competitions, but most I've been in the ADLG crowd. Um, and I've been in the fortunate position of both my sons coming and playing in competitions with most of you. And, you know, 99.9% .9 of the players being very nice and coaching them along. So uh, I've been very lucky in that and also the international thing. I, I just think there's there's always a couple of uh, Muppets that spoil it. Um, I mean, we've seen it more in other other sort of rule sets than that. But I think that's life, though. There's always going to be a couple of Muppets. That's the, just reality. Be it in the pub, uh, on the commute, 
in a wargame circuit. It's, it's not something that I'd shoot down the whole of uh, competitive wargaming. Um, I just think some people so actually, don't actually, like the idea that competitive. You know, there's more. There's more tossers um, at our club or even on this call as a percentage than, um, than you would do. You know, I wouldn't put yourself down, Tim. I wasn't thinking of myself, Peter. Right. Obviously, as Adam said about the mirror thing, just don't go there, okay? But, you know, I think that the just generally there are anyway. So it's just, you just got to take the rough with the smooth sometimes. And sometimes they are just really annoying because it's your weekend away that you're having a break, you're chilling out, you're doing something that's not work-related and someone gets a bit precious and you're just like going, I don't need this. It's just, let's just chill. Okay. Dave, along along with you, what do you think? Um, I think in the 10 years I've been playing com- competitive wargaming, I think it's chilled out a lot. I think in that whole time, and I'm talking about playing almost a competition every month, I've probably met three people I found to be awkward and difficult. And even those three people, I think two of them, we fought round to being more chilled out and relaxed. So I think it's a, it's a brilliant hobby. It takes a bit of effort to get into it, but you know it takes a lot of effort and persistence to get competent and mid-table mediocrity, but it's worth it because I love it to bits. I absolutely love it to bits. And it's, especially when we've had, um, I don't know, several of us on there, when we've had new people coming into play competition stuff, yeah. and you know, I, I certainly ended up spending half the game coaching them like adam said you know you know from the first deployment you're going to take them apart provided they don't do a ghost i've ended up coaching them doing you know do you mind if i explain a couple of things to you um you know halfway through when you know you're going to uh, beat them anyway um and then you spend half the game trying to make their life you know a bit more interesting for them well make the game not their life sorry that's a bit too much so to round to me then just to round off adam you know i think you've had a you had a very good run last week and you've had a very good run so far this week, but but I'm afraid I just think on this one, you're an ass, really. And I think my theory is it's all very well and good setting out a way, a, an agenda, a roadmap for um, for the people who spoil competitions for everybody to be self and analytical and improve themselves. But I don't really see how you can build any kind of foundation of a theory on the assumption that a subset of war gamers who lack more self-awareness and social skills than the rest of us have any got any chance whatsoever of having that capability um springing forth from from within themselves so so i think you know actually the secret is to go there might be the odd one or two you know bad eggs or or whatever but there is at your club and there is a a social game and there would be if you went away to a, a war games weekend with with a million figures recreating the battle of quattro bras or or whatever it was there'd always be those people whatever situation competitions are absolutely no different to to anything else i think there is a genuine change in the competition circuit that the context has made it um less less competitive but you know, an idea that you can persuade these people to to self-identify and self-fix when actually they're there and that's just who they are and, and being ornery, it would be exactly the same if they were playing in a, a friendly game or if they were playing, um, you know, Stingray at Salute um, with a bunch of 15-year-old kids or 10-year-old kids. That's not going to fix. So I think if you're expecting the arsiest subset of war games to change, I think 
that means you, sir, I believe, are an ass. As the soft plastic figure of destiny hits the direct sunshine of time. That means that's all we've got time for this week. So we'll see you again next week for another episode of I'm Sorry, I Think You're an Ass. Oh, God, that was kind of deep, wasn't it? I think. Um, oh, no, that was interesting because yeah, I tried to be reasonable. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I got a few pointless insults in, but I tried to be reasonable. It actually yeah. generated a fairly. Yeah, no, I, no, that's what I say. It was an interesting conversation. It's not. Um, it's not going to be what people, people. It doesn't follow on from the last comedy rant, uh, but it's yeah. a different way of doing it, isn't it? It's. Um, Okay, well, look, with that theme music fading into the background, we do a very quick, I suspect, very quick wrap round this week on on what games have been played. And um, I think, Simon, I hear that you and you and Andy played a game and Andy doesn't want to talk about it. So do you want to tell us about your glorious victory? <laughs> yes, sir. Um, Andy and I had a game of um, ADLG Renaissance last week. We were trying out a couple of new ideas for some of the, the later periods. So... What was the battle we're playing, Andy? It was Battle Ocrum. of Ocrum. Yeah, ask David. D- David is now capable of mispronouncing names in about five or six different languages, including Irish now. So hmm. if you want to mangle the name Ocrum, just ask Dave. So basically, it was Irish versus English, I think it was. So good old-fashioned squabble. And we were trying a couple of different ideas on some of the later pike and shot versus some of the other infantry. And uh, it got very, very brutal. And um, the English now, the English won the game quite quite uh, convincingly. So we have to just, a couple of tweaks we were just thinking about to not make the later period armies so horrible. They're not fun to Take play. Take away their machine guns. Yeah. Okay. It was, it, was quite, it, was, it was good to see you. You got the effect of what you want on the table. Just got to uh, tweak a couple of statistics just to make it a little less... Make it like your game, really. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Getting there. And then, so Andy, you you um you came off the wrong side of that one. How was your how was your weekly Dave Ray? What was your special battle that you were recreating? We did, we did Bannockburn last night, and um, somewhat surprisingly, I won as the English. Mm-hmm. And um, wow, Hammer of the Scots. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we sent them homeward to think again. Uh, he won the initiative and um, attacked me and. Uh, there was some terrain and, and I was able to get stuff into it before he was. And uh, he discovered quite quickly that heavy spear don't operate that well in terrain, even against medium spear. And um, it all went very nicely. And, and then I had my, my longbows clinking away, shooting holes in his heavy spear. And uh, at, but at the point where I killed one of his generals, he said, right, that's it. You can have this one. So uh, there in, we go. In that famous way that Robert the Bruce did. Um, I guess indeed, yeah. yeah. No. But I did Sorry see a, a comment about yeah. heavy spear by um, Phil Gardocki in his least his recent battle report. He says, "Heavy spear are the orcs of Art de la Guerre." Right, that's funny because I, I, you know, I, I think I've got a lot of time for them. They're just such a good anti-cavalry weapon. But um, you know, in, in the right place, that ex- you've got to be able to use that extra resilience. But okay, yeah. then. So um, nah, well, we worked out the odds. You can still run over them with uh, nice heavy knights. Nice, yeah, heavy, really impact, elite knights, get yeah. stomped. But ne- next week we're doing something, I can't even know the name of the thing, Agalabat or something like that, and it's um, 
Assyrians list seven against Hari Matani. So wow, God knows that's what that's a, all about. So you're jumping, you're jumping all around. Are there? Yeah, they just found a list. Yet? They found a list of other battles which which had um, strategies. So you just chuck that at me and say, well, let's try some of these. So um, we, we're so there's of, going to be a lot of those Indian chariots appearing on both sides, I guess. Uh, yeah, I think it's light chariots um, in, in this one because it's like twelve or okay. thirteen hundred Celt Celtic and, and Gallic chariots then running around. I imagine. That's well, computer, computerized chariots, but uh, computerized I'm going to have the early um, Assyrian list, so that will be a, a new one for me. I'm not quite sure how to balance okay. it. It's going to be well. Look, we will um, we will wish you good luck on that, and then um, I think you know. It's time to actually play with Carry On With You and play your theme music. So in Croyarb, yet again, um, Monsieur Andy, oh, in fact, maybe I should delegate this to Dave if I'm going to do the, the French language. But uh, but no, Andy, tell us the answers from last week's quiz. Well, if you remember, last week's topic was pulling rank. And there were three questions. Tugging rank, I think it was. No, no, no. Nothing to do with tugging. Really? No. Pulling rank. Was, it's a proper military term, right? Of course. So the first question was, if a major outranks a lieutenant, why does a lieutenant general outrank a major general? The lieutenant general is is commander in lieu of the general no the answer is major general is actually a shorthand name for sergeant major general and the lieutenant outranks the sergeant major okay and is that is that african That's or european clear. Oh, english if you look at some of the english civil war <laughs> historical orders of battle yeah. you'll see a reference to sergeant major general okay sergeant major general that should have made the um the, the song a bit more complicated it wouldn't have Gilbert and Sullivan well. yeah that's right yeah indeed I'm right. the very okay. model of a modern sergeant major general major yes. general yeah, yeah. Ooh, okay. stumbling okay far away right. next next answer next one I think Dave was suggesting he might know the answer to this one in 1943 a civilian called Glyndua Michael was given a false identity as Major William Martin of the Royal Marines what dead. role did he play in the invasion of Sicily he was dead. Um, he he was, washed he up on a corpse yeah, on the shore in Spain. Plans yep. for invasion of Sardinia. So was it, Tampton? False plans for invasion of Sardinia. No. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just a book about it called Operation Mincemeat. They called it. Um, yeah. It was, it was, it was, they he had plans for invading southern France instead, wasn't he, or something? And he, no, no. Um, they, 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 they had letters on him from a. They had letters from a genuine general to. Orkinlack or McDonald or some, uh, not McDonald, what's his name? Good I can't remember. So, Alexander, that's what it was. And uh, the Germans fell for it and, and uh, believed that they, this is genuine information. And that they, they knew that the Allies, he, the Germans knew the Allies were going to have to bomb the airfields in Sicily wherever they went. Mm. But the Allies wanted to convince them they were going to invade Sardinia and Greece rather than in Sicily. So the Germans okay. would spread out their defences. All right. And, and what was your third question? Third question was, at the Battle of Cannae in 216 BCE, why was the Roman army commanded by the consul Varro rather than his co-consul Paulus? It was his turn that day. That's right. Wow. So he so just pulled rank by the day of the week. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. One of them was cautious, one was reckless, and it happened to be the reckless guy's turn to command the army on the day of the battle. Spot of luck. And... Um, 
with that spot of luck, I think we're luckily going to hear the music again. So Andy, after after last week's um slightly sniggersome theme, um, what 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 depths are you plumbing for us this week in terms of theme for the, the question? Well, this week this week is about successful generals, and the topic is called hard to beat. So the first question is, what was the nickname of? But French you're staying Marshall? with the same theme, aren't you? Actually, yeah, 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 yeah. you really are. I can see what you're doing here. Right? Okay. What was the off. nickname of French Marshal Davou, who was reputed never to have lost a battle? Okay. Right. Second one, which Arab general rated as a strategist in ADLG is reputed to have fought over a hundred battles and lost none of them? Me, I know that one. Yep. We'll flick through the book and, and try and remember that by next week. Yep. Yeah, okay, right. And Alexander the Great had a 100% success rate in his battles. How many battles did he fight? Ooh. Interesting question. Okay, then. Battles, Dave. Battles. That's the secret. But look, you'll find out next week. Okay, then. Well, another um, another epic session of quizzing. Um, I think you are going to have to get away from this onanastic theme at some point, Andy, but but keep keep slipping it in um, as we go forwards. But yeah, it keeps just, tugging you in a certain direction. Yeah, it keeps tugging you in a certain direction. But if you can, um, if we, if you could start us off then about what you've got planned for the next week, and, and don't not not don't go there. But paint, painting wise, wargaming wise, uh, painting wise is carrying on with the museum stuff. Nice and simple. Nice I'm kind of see more or less finished the Indians I mean, there's not a lot to do to them they've got they've got white bath towels and brown skin and um you know just got to paint their headgear the swords and shields and that's basically them done fantastic Dave do you think you'll get the um that army finished this week or um I'll certainly get the cavalry finished this week I've still got the, the Scotsmen to do with their with their uh Your quilting. yeah that's gonna be fun uh, and those 10 millimeter guys yeah, uh, maybe we'll get them sorted out. Other than that, wait for the next big project and finding some money to pay yeah. for something. Start planning it. Okay, uh, yeah. Peter, would you do you see um, work stopping you gluing your hands together this week, or is, is that going to come back on the agenda? Yeah, very much so. Um, yeah, no gluing, or hey, I'm going to try and do some painting the weekend, but probably not. Got it's a lot on for the next uh, couple of weeks. Right. Uh, maybe next month, but you know. Fine. Okay, well, that's all good. Simon, are you um you deep in year end audit for another week? Is it going to be another two base week? Do you think? Definitely. That's if I'm lucky, I'll get another two bases. I'm hoping, like um, Peter, by the end of April, I'll be able to surface from the joys of end end of year and go. Now, what can I do? <laughs> okay, and and Adam, you're um gotta love end your, of year. Your new gainful employment is that starting to settle down? Is there? More stuff that's going to, you know, are you inspired by ships and your new rereading of the book? Well, I'm just doing supply work and teaching and I'm staying at the same school for a few weeks. So it's like teaching is just really hard work. But um, no, I'll, I'll be reading the book, but I'll be finishing off my 
painting. And um, the only other important news really is um, I've got my legal team talking to the um, the legal department in Toyment about um, getting the tickets up for sale. Excellent. Well, yeah, I'm that seems to have gone yeah. really well. I'm kind of hoping by the time um, this podcast comes comes out, I should be saying, um, yeah, it's up. So um, keep checking Facebook. It can actually be bought. People will be able to get down there to Bournemouth and and hopefully roll some dice in entoyment. That's good. And um, Tamsin, do you, do you think, um, do, when, will I be asking you next week the parachutist question and you're getting an affirmative answer? Or um, are you back onto moving house again? What, what's what's on your next wargaming week? Next week, uh, next few days, finish off the six, finish painting for six millimetre, get them varnished, and then base, then start the basing. Uh, so I might have finished them by next time. I might, well, I'll probably have started the basing by the next podcast recording. Okay, so the, you'll be um, you'll be gluing sand to your hands and fingers. That'll probably be it. Yeah, yeah, yeah that'll be it. Probably Good. it. Okay. I think hopefully I will I will do this this handoff with Dave um, at Hanging Lane Gyratory System. Probably get some undercoating done. Um, possibly now that I've done the horses, make a start on these um, Legio Heroica Ottomans as well. I still keep thinking I should go back to the the, the ten mil Germans, but but they're a bit far away and tucked away in a corner at the moment. So I, I I do keep forgetting them. And I've got to write up a few more army lists for um, for Ian at Fighting Fifteens because he's got the um, the Romans and the Huns already on um, on on the website from the ADLG list that I put together, and um, it's it was say really really interesting um, trying to put together a list that is viable at two hundred points and one hundred and twenty eight figures as well. Kind of really intriguing, but um, but I've got a decent Hunnic list and a, a very decent solid late Roman list that are up there, and um, and they're now out for under forty quid a go, which is which is going back to our pre-Christmas conversation about how cheap things are, works out at about 31 pence a figure, which I suspect might be one of the cheapest, um, best value, lowest cost, whichever way you want to put it, um, rates going. So um, hopefully if we can put, if I, if I can encourage him and help him to put a few more of those, um, it might allow some more people to throw some cheap ADLG armies onto the table as well. And, and next up, is really looking at the Mesoamericans as well. So, um, so that's our next plan, and see if there's some of those Aztec and Maya and all the rest of it um, lists that we can put oh. cobble together, and um, and and allow people to start fielding some of those ones in in obscure periods that they've never been able to do in different sets of rules. So, and I think on when that you work note, out the point value of those, Tim, do you take into account the Scrabble point value as well? Yes, indeed. Yeah, if they're on a triple word score, it, um, it increases the cost of the C and C. If you can do, definitely. So, so that's. Um, I, I just, I just think they've got the best names with their Jaguar warriors, Eagle warriors, and things like that. It's just fantastic. Some, there is some really, really cool stuff. So, um, it's it's interesting looking at those lists because I've never really looked at them before at all. Um, so, actually looking at them and seeing, thinking, would that actually work? Is it's kind of an interesting exercise, and we're going to record a podcast on on those lists as well, which will probably come out it, in the next it, few weeks. They're also sort of lockdown friendly because they all have the sort of bowl haircut as well. Yes, okay. yep, that's all a big part of it. And um, I think on that note, as we all, um, you know, if we were living in Wales, we'd actually be able to go get a haircut by now. But we're not, 
um we're in we're all in kind of london no, South that's, East, so. that's not going to haircut that's getting sheared that's different yes that's a different thing yes well <laughs> certainly on that note i think it's time to draw a close to it so thank you everybody for listening and um see you all or listen to you all or you listen to us again um, all next week goodbye goodbye bye, bye. bye. No, when I've seen Gordon get upset for the whole of a trip coming back from Cardiff and still be ranting about it, upsetting Gordon that much. Now that was that was something special.